Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. We're continuing to go through the Lord's Prayer from the book of Matthew as we talk through how do we pray in this season of coronavirus, COVID-19. We looked at the beginning of this in Luke. There's The Lord's Prayer is recorded in both Matthew and Luke, and it's possible that they're different instances. But in Luke, it's kind of kicked off by this phrase, Lord, teach us to pray. And we feel like that's such a fitting um, ask in this season, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to seek you in this season? And so we're looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew because we believe it's such a great um, prayer for us. And it's such a great way to learn to pray is to look at the Lord's Prayer and look at what it's teaching us. And so this is the second part of that. And Doug, would you mind reading for us the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 once again? And then we'll discuss the second half of that, starting with give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 6, 9-13 Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Doug, could you just give us a quick summary of what we talked about last time in that prayer? Definitely. Last time we started just kind of going through the prayer, we looked for a while at our Father in heaven and just the reality that we in this time have God in heaven as our Father, that we can call out to him knowing that he cares us, that cares for us, that he loves us. And if we believe that he is our loving Father who is in control and who is wise, then all of the rest of this prayer flows from that, that we do want his name to be exalted, to be hallowed, sanctified, set apart, that we do want his kingdom to come more fully on the earth because his kingdom is one where we live in perfect relationship with him and others. And we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that idea of his kingdom coming, his will being done, When Jesus came, he did bring the kingdom of God, and now we live it out. And so we as the church, our desire is to live out the kingdom of God in accordance with the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and all of Scripture. And that's part of what we're praying for. Lord, would you help us to live out the justice, the righteousness, the peace of your kingdom in this troubling time? And when we pray your kingdom come, there's also this longing for Christ to come back and to return and to make all things new. So I think there's just something fascinating of this call for his kingdom to come that both has a present tense, let's live in light of the reality of his kingdom, that Jesus reigns and let's follow him. And there's this longing that his will will be done on earth today as it ultimately will be forever. Could you guys tease out for us some of the significance then? 
because we're going through this line by line, some of the significance of that phrase, give us this day our daily bread. I think the first thing that stands out to me from the second half of this prayer, even beginning with give us this day our daily bread, is that it combines big theology of who God is, that he is our father who's in heaven, who reigns over all, with asking very practical questions from him. So that Jesus isn't teaching us to pray, God, you are in control, so whatever happens, happens. In some ways, there can be a good thing to believe that no matter what happens, God is ultimately going to work all things for good. But we trust that our Father is in heaven, so we actually ask him for things. We actually ask him for our daily bread, for forgiveness of sins, for deliverance from evil. So I think my first thought here is to realize that God's sovereignty, his reigning, leads us to even pray specific questions. So this give us our daily bread. We're praying for the basic needs that we have, which he's going to get into in the next section on being anxious. And Greg, you had some thoughts on that section, right? Yeah, this is really big and a powerful passage in my life. And as you look at the next half of the chapter, you see in verses 19 through 24, it talks about not storing up treasures on earth where they can flee and be destroyed, but storing up treasures in heaven. And then in 25 through 34 specifically, it says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you add a single hour of his life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not arrayed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire and burned, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's, again, a passage that's just so practical, because so many of, I mean, my concerns, I'm guessing, for a lot of people listening are just, am I going to have enough money? in a month or a year? Am I going to have what I need to? Am I going to have a job? Um, that's just a really powerful concern because we need food and shelter to live. We need our basic daily needs. Um, and so this passage is saying, don't worry about those things. The Lord knows what you need and if he cares deeply about you. And so sometimes I've heard, though, this passage almost be talked about in a way that just don't worry, don't be anxious as an end in itself but when you look at it Mm -hmm. it's really saying something much greater it's saying don't worry don't be anxious about these things for a greater purpose and that greater purpose is so that we can seek first the kingdom of god daily and so that our focus in life can be on god and on knowing him and on making him known on living for him in all things that we do and so it's it's not just don't worry 
you'll be okay. It's don't worry so that you can actually do something much greater, which is God's desire for you, that you would know and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And one practical way for me that this played out is just as being a full-time on staff at the Navigators, you have to fundraise your salary. And I remember as sitting one time realizing I needed to do a decent amount of support raising and I started just getting really anxious and it was kind of just overwhelming me that season and all I could really think about is I need to you know raise support so I can actually get a salary so I can eat so I can be okay so I can support a family and I remember at one point just stopping and thinking man I'm I'm worrying so much about tomorrow and God's given me this promise that he's going to give me exactly what I need today so that I can seek him. And my anxiety right now is pulling me away from loving Christ and knowing Christ and abiding in Christ and in the word and prayer. And instead, it's this is pulling me away from God. And God's given me this promise that I'll give you what you need day by day. And so trust me. And so I don't have to worry about what's life going to look like in five days. I don't have to worry about what's life is going to look like tomorrow. I can make all my energy today on knowing and loving Jesus and with this promise that he'll provide what I need day by day to do that. And sometimes that might not look exactly like what we had hoped it would look like. That doesn't mean that everything's going to always be okay, but he'll give us exactly what we need in the exact time that we do it, need it to fulfill his purposes in our life, to seek him daily so that we won't ever have what we lack to know and love Christ and to seek his kingdom first above all things. Yeah. I think it is so fitting, like you're saying, Greg, to believe that God will give us what he needs in this season. Think of just the reality of about one in 10 Americans have lost their jobs at this point. And that's just in our own country. We know that in other countries, there's also difficult um, results of this. And so like just thinking, okay, and a country that often has prided itself in being one of the most wealthy and prosperous nations, one in 10 Americans are potentially at this point of job loss. Um, and there's some just hard hitting consequences of the season we're in. So I think these words, Lord, give us this day our daily bread are just are so fitting. Um, and Doug, could you share a little bit, even just how we can be praying this, just not for ourselves even, but just for others as well in this season? Absolutely. Thinking about this prayer for the daily bread, that it does capture kind of like all of our basic necessities. Certainly it's a prayer for our food and that God would provide for us, but it also then becomes representative of all the other needs that we have. So I'm certainly praying this for myself right now and wanting to trust the Lord in times of a lot of unknown. But as I've been just kind of even meditating on this verse, give us this day our daily bread. It's been specifically praying for our healthcare workers and for those who are like already more sick. And then for people who are like the poor in our society, that the uncertainty um, can become even like much more significant. Um, so thinking about our healthcare workers who are on the front lines of this, who many of them know that they're likely even to get this because of how they're going out to care for those who are in need. Um, so just so thankful for them, you know, just impressed and amazed by the people that are doing that. But want to 
pray for those who are on the front lines of caring for those with this and then wanting to pray for the people who are in roles that can't just go home so if you are a police officer or folks that are working to even just treat our water to keep electricity going or a lot of people who are in delivery and service jobs or working at grocery stores many of whom don't have even the opportunity to seclude themselves or to just go and stay at home because they're actually dependent on their paycheck for their next meal um it's just thinking of the range of people that we have who are on the front lines and potentially getting sick, those who have pre-existing conditions or are at greater vulnerability, praying for the people who are already struggling financially or people who were doing okay but now have lost their jobs. And so as I pray for my daily bread, I do want to trust the Lord to be the one who provides for me. But I also want to specifically ask that he would provide for those who are in critical need. And then thinking about um, even some of the other countries around the world and somewhere, like I was reading an article about India where maybe 80% of people are living day to day on small amounts of money. And just the possibility of what could happen there is really tragic and sad. Or even for the folks in the U.S., realizing that a lot of people who are poor are being hit by this much harder and maybe they don't have the opportunity to social distance or have pre-existing conditions or don't have health care um so i don't want to let my concerns about my life be minimized but i also want to realize that there's a lot of people who are in really difficult spots and i want to just lift them up day by day yeah yeah, I think that's really good. There are needs, and we we probably all have a taste of that personally. And I think even as you've we've been sharing through the season, a big temptation is to become inwardly focused. Um, oh yeah, it's. But how do you? Yeah, how do you pray for others? How do you care for others? It's a good challenge. Um, Fascinating how verse 12 goes into, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is a, a verse that perhaps you could think, uh, okay, what, what real relevance does this have in this season? But I would say these verses are actually striking me these days. Because if anything, I would say I'm more aware of some of my own sinfulness in this season and my own um, shortcomings in this season. And I'm realizing my need for grace. And I, I was praying this one the other day, and that was striking me too. Of Lord, for just show me grace, show me forgiveness, as I'm struggling with that in my own life and my own my own issues. But what would you guys say? What's the significance of this? Forgive us our debts, as we forgive have as we have also forgiven our debtors. How does that play out in a time like this, or just in life in general? Mark, I agree that this time is showing me my need for God's grace as I'm wrestling through a variety of things, trying to get into even healthy patterns again, as so much has been disrupted and it's easy to turn to idols or things that really aren't 
helping us to walk with the Lord or to seek him, like you were talking about, Greg, that actually do just bring up my anxiety in greater ways. Um, but I was in Bible study a couple of weeks ago, and one of the guys was saying that it's been fascinating to see how many idols and patterns of sin it feels like the Lord is just bringing up in his life. But then he said something that I thought was really interesting and that hit me, and that he was saying, if this would come up in the normal patterns of my life, I don't know that I would be able to deal with it. But there's been enough changing, and he's got a more flexible time available. He's like, but I do have the time right now as a gift from God to deal with some of these things going on and to seek him. And I thought that was a helpful perspective because, yeah, I'm seeing my need for grace in greater ways, seeing things that I rely upon as idols. But right now, there's an opportunity to engage with those things that the Lord's giving me. So I do want to pray for his forgiveness, but then also to seek him so that he would help me to work through the stuff that I'm seeing of sin in my life. And anyway, so I was just thinking, it's been interesting to see us rise again of some of these struggles that I've got, but then wanting to process with the Lord and to move through them. Yeah. I would, I would assume that a lot of people in this season probably feel like they're dealing with things that might just seem completely unrelated to coronavirus. And mm-hmm. the reality is, I mean, in this season, even as we're trying to, you know, being in a pastoral role and wanting to reach out and know what's going on in people's lives, the reality is, yeah, some of this, there's going to be stress and anxiety related directly to something like the coronavirus, but also it's just going to amplify a lot of the other things that are already going on in our life. Absolutely. Sort of like the furnace that's going to raise the impurities to the surface. And it's like, you know, if you're in a home with, uh, you know, number of people and you're spending extended amount of time with them it's like yeah it's going to be more difficult as you figure out life together like you may struggle more with patience Mm -hmm. that's probably not because you've totally relapsed in your ability to be patient that's probably because you're actually spending extended time with people and as you get to know people um, more things come to the surface and I think like you're saying Doug it, it may actually be a really good opportunity and so I'd assume that a number of people are feeling like I'm just dealing with things that are unrelated to this in this season. But maybe that's part of what happens is um, trials just as a whole are used by God to mature us and to complete us. And as those trials are being used, um, they're probably exposing all sorts of areas of our life that are good to have come out because the Lord may actually be using those trials for lasting change. And that really is, I mean, what we believe of that God, the idea for, of God working all things together for good for the uh, those who love him is that he's going to actually use the certain trials. Like James says, to consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, um, knowing that testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. See so that you may be maturing, complete, not lacking anything. So that might maybe what's happening right now is as we feel like, man, these things are coming up in this season, and this doesn't even seem related. Maybe maybe it's the catalyst that allows the true introspection of our own souls and our own lives that we would be brought more into the image of Christ and brought into greater completion. And in a sense, it's unrelated, but it's unrelated though all of life is so deeply interrelated that 
it's as though one trial just merely pushes to the surface what was already there at the core. One way we've been or talked about this prayer last time was how it's specifically uniquely Christian. And um, one way that that takes place, of course, is coming to God as our Father and um, approaching Him in that way. But then also I think this is a really fascinating part of the prayer that also does this because when we ask God to forgive our sins, we don't have to keep babbling up words like the pagans, like it says not to, please forgive me, please forgive me, please forgive me. We don't have to go do anything to be forgiven of our sins. We don't have to earn God's love, earn God's forgiveness. But First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And just a couple verses later, it says that when we do sin, we have one who uh, speaks to the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And it's, it's just an incredible idea here that when we approach God and we confess and repent of our sins, we are forgiven. And in all the ways that we see that we fall short and all the ways that we feel exposed, we realize that in every way that we fall short, Christ was completely perfect and that God is still our Father and loves us and not a future version of us who has all these things worked through and figured out, but now as we are, we can approach God and be forgiven and accept that forgiveness and repent of our sins. And, and one verse that's been sticking out is, Hebrews 7, 25, and it's been powerful in my life. It says, Christ is able to save completely all who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. And later in Hebrews, it says that Christ is made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. And so I think that's just been really powerful to me to understand that in all these areas where I feel exposed or where I feel like I'm just wish I was more mature farther along that I get to rest in the grace of God in those and let that be what empowers me and not a future version of me who is perfect but I'm completely loved through Christ and that's what motivates me to keep moving forward and Christ has paid the penalty for all the sins that I'm seeing surface in my life and he knew I was going to fall short in all those ways and he saved me and he doesn't regret it he chose before the creation of the world to set his affection on me and love me and adopt me and I think that's just a really powerful reminder that we get every day as we ask the Lord to forgive our sins and knowing that he does yeah. one question I'd have for you guys is I think that's really good Greg but the question I'd have following up with this is as we think through that, of like receiving this unconditional forgiveness, how do we deal with this next phrase and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors? Why would Christ include this phrase in there of this forgiveness of others as we ask for the forgiveness of God? Yeah, we see this theme all through the New Testament that forgiving others is a natural overflow out of being forgiven by God. Same as that loving others comes from overflow of God loving us. And when we understand God's love, when that fills our hearts, the response is to love others because how could we not? And we see in Colossians, it says, forgive as the Lord forgave us. And if I truly understand that God's forgiven all of my sins and the weightiest offense in the world is sin against God, rejection against an infinitely holy, perfect God, 
sin against an infinitely great God warrants an infinitely great punishment, and yet God chose to forgive and love me. How could I ever choose not to forgive somebody or decide that they don't deserve forgiveness of sins? Because if I'm doing that, I just don't understand what I have. I don't understand the forgiveness. I don't understand the love that God's given to me. And so a lack of forgiveness is symptomatic of a lack of understanding of the gospel and what God's given to us. Yeah. I think it is just the ethic of the kingdom of God. I mean, you see Christ when he's crucified, pray for his enemies. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And you think of that, of Christ in here talking about love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Matthew five forty four going back. Uh, and then he says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You must therefore be perfect. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think what Christ is pushing us to here is this sense of we, we exhibit the forgiveness that is in the kingdom of God. And even in here, I think there's a encouragement, a challenge that we would be people who forgive others and expect and live in the embrace of a forgiving father. Um, but I think like you're saying, Greg, if you don't forgive others their sins, um, what you're ultimately exhibiting is, is you're missing the gospel. You've missed the character of Christ, the king of the kingdom. You've missed the ethic of the kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing I even realized as I was talking, I was you know, coming off pretty strong and direct with this idea of forgiving others. And I think just because in my life this has become a really heavy conviction, but it's been through a lot of wrestling and struggling and through a lot of pain um, of trying to forgive others and the difficulty of that, that I feel like I've come to that conviction and seeing where the disconnect in my life of lack of forgiveness was, and I still struggle with that at times. And so I know that for people listening, there's probably ways that you've been deeply wounded or hurt by other people. And maybe it even just feels like some of those things mark your life or have left a scar on you that maybe you feel like doesn't go away. And so I just want to be really sensitive to that and just know that this is even a process and there's even a growth and understanding and living in light of this reality. And it can still be a struggle for Christians to um, just forgive as the Lord forgave us. And yet, what I would encourage is if that's you and you have some wounds or ways you feel like you're having a hard time forgiving people or if people have ongoing sin that's continued to impact you, just continue to take that before the Lord and maybe even get in a community of Christians that can help you process through that and be with you in the midst of that struggle. I think along the lines of forgiving our debts or transgressions, trespasses, we forgive others. I think root versus fruit is a helpful thing where the root of us being forgiven is not our forgiveness of others. The root is the forgiveness of Christ and that produces fruit in us. And fruit doesn't often like happen immediately, but it does come out of a healthy tree. And Jesus will actually use that analogy in Matthew 7 of 
like a, a good tree bears good fruit. And so if I'm seeing in my life an unwillingness to even move towards forgiveness of others, then there's something wrong with the tree. Um, so the root, it Christ is the one who's forgiven us, and that if he's forgiven us our debts, how much more are we to forgive others? And I think there's also something practical for this right now of a lot of people are spending more time with the people nearest them than they've ever done before. Um, and there can be a sense of just frustration, a sense of like, I just want to be alone, or a sense of anger that people feel towards one another. And I think now, even just seeing, I need forgiveness more than I normally do, and I want to extend that to other people as well. So I think there's even just a challenge there to say, Lord, would you help me to see how much you have forgiven me, to be amazed by your love and kindness, and will you lead me to treat others like you've treated me? That I wouldn't wait for them to apologize, wouldn't wait for them to make it right, but as you sent your son to save me in a rebellious state, would you help me to love other people beyond what they deserve because you've loved me? far, far beyond what I could ever imagine. Yeah. We get this last line in verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think this is such a fitting line as well to close this out because even as we forgive others, as we seek God's kingdom, there's ultimately this just reliance of, Lord, don't give me more than I can handle. Um, and we know that God never tempts anyone. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Then it goes on, But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then it goes on more. But this phrase, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What I see in here is a bit of even just a reliance on our Father in heaven of, God, you know what I can handle. You know what I can do. I'm asking to seek your kingdom. I'm asking for strength, but but help me out. Like, like don't lead me into temptation. Don't lead me into circumstances that I can't handle. And we know ultimately that God is a good father who will not give us more than we can handle. The classic first, first Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I think this is a just a, a significant prayer. What are some other thoughts you guys have on this last line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's helpful to see that word temptation is also translated trials at times. Um it's like a passage that I think stands out to me is First Peter 1, 6, saying, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, that is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here he is talking about how trials can be used by God to refine us, like you were talking about, Mark. And that's what's happening in 1 Peter 1. Um, So we do want to embrace the things from the Lord that he may actually be doing something very significant in our lives. 
Yet, we can also pray for deliverance from the trials and from the temptations. We don't have this sense of, oh, I want to stay in temptation. No, we want to ask the Lord for good, ask for his protection. Um, and knowing that if we're in trials, if we're still in temptations, then God has a good purpose for us. But yet we ask him, would you deliver us? Would you be there for us? And one of the passages that started to stand out to me last fall was Matthew 7, which again is just a little bit after what we're reading here. And it says, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus says, we as humans even give good gifts to our children. How much more our heavenly father? And I realized all oh, the anxiety that I'm seeing in my life is because I'm not actually trusting that God really is a good father. And it made me really sad to realize the anxiety that I'm feeling rising up is because I'm doubting, God, are you a good father? And so in my life, I want to trust that if the trials are happening, that he still is accomplishing something good. But I also want to ask boldly and say, Lord, will you deliver us from evil? Will you deliver me from trials and temptation so that we can walk with you and seek you and pursue your kingdom here on the earth? Um, so again, I think I appreciate that Jesus is saying that our father is in heaven. He reigns over all. So ask boldly. Great. Well, Greg, could you close us out then with some final thoughts? Yeah, just a final thought on this section here parallels what Mark was talking about earlier with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And that verse says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand under it. And this is just a really powerful promise i think that god gives us that there's nothing beyond what we can bear but he'll always give us a way out of temptation and sometimes it can feel like sin gets the best of us or we have no way but to walk into sin or to give into sin and yet here's this promise that god won't give us anything that there's not a way out and where we don't have to be consumed by our sin. And whenever we do choose sin, it is an active choice that we're making to choose sin over choosing God that we have the ability to say no to. And for me, that just gives me a lot of assurance and leans me in just to trusting in the Lord day by day, saying, God, just help me. As I see these areas of my life exposed, as I see these new patterns of sin in my life or I see them amplified in new ways would you just by the spirit help me continue to press into these things grow in these things and also just to choose you daily to choose to walk with you abide in you and love you with all my heart soul mind and strength and and one promise that I'm holding on to along those lines is that just true life and joy is found in Christ above anything else and in this season where I have a tendency towards distraction or media and things like that I think most of us have probably seen as we've given to those things that eventually you just feel empty and mm -hmm. they don't really satisfy your soul and so do I really believe that Jesus Christ is more satisfying, that he's the bread of life? He who comes to him will never be hungry. Who believes in him will never thirst. He says that I come to you and have life and have it to the full. And I just hope that we would continue to see that in more and more ways and that our lives would 
just reflect the truth of that and that maybe in the season where we're seeing some of the futility or emptiness of going to other things for life and joy and rest in ways that aren't God's design for us, that we would maybe re-engage our hearts to the true fullness of life and joy that Christ has for us as we do follow him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And none of us are going to be perfect in that, and we're still going to struggle with that as we go forward. But as we've talked about, knowing that day by day, the perfection of Christ is counted to us. We're forgiven of our sins, and let that be what moves us forward as we see that we fall short, and let it be the grace of God that roots us in the midst of growing in all these areas of our life. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, whatever you all are going through in this season, we hope that the Lord's Prayer would be a guide and encouragement in your prayer life to help you seek God's kingdom above all, to experience his grace and to rely on him and live out faith, whatever the season will hold, whatever story God has for you right now. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.